our reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through to 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's been a tough couple of years, hasn't it? And if we'd all kind of love coronavirus to disappear and restrictions to kind of evaporate, um, but that's not going to happen, certainly not going to happen overnight. Um, but short of that, I don't know about you, I'd kind of like some stability in life. It's annoying, isn't it, when you kind of plan for something and then something happens and something changes and it's all up in the air again and it's all fluid. And um, we just had a, a family wedding yesterday. This was like the second marriage. Uh, just one marriage would have been fine, but we had to have two. Uh, and then the second marriage was also disrupted because uh, of Omicron. And then there were some friends from Tassie and some family in Queensland who didn't feel safe to kind of come down and they weren't certain. And uh, that's kind of life at the moment, isn't it? This distinct lack of stability and of continuity and certainty. And, and I yearn for seasons where you just, you, you, you know what's going to come. Life is kind of more predictable and, and stable. Well, we're in the book of Exodus, and we saw in chapter 1 that Israel had a, a stable 350-odd years of prosperity in Egypt. Uh, and they're growing as a nation, and they're being blessed by God, and they're fulfilling that command to increase and multiply and to subdue the earth and they're bringing order out of chaos and and then a new pharaoh comes who knows nothing of joseph and he enslaves the israelites and uh, a year or two uh, into 
this period of oppression, the Israelites continue to grow. And at some point, the new Pharaoh thinks, I've got to do more. And he commands that all the male Hebrew babies are thrown into the river Nile. Well, Moses' mother sees that there's something special about her son and uh, she keeps him at home as long as she can. Eventually, she needs to put him into a little boat, an ark, put him into the reeds and she releases him in faith into God's hands to see what God will do. Moses ends up in the house of Pharaoh, is raised uh, a prince, um, gets some experience of leadership and um, comes of age and then one day encounters some injustice. Here is God's anointed, God's chosen person. He sees slavery, he sees abuse and he does what we expect a godly person would do. He steps in, he intervenes and what does he get for standing up for what is right he gets betrayed and chased out of town. Uh, Moses looks around, makes sure there's no Egyptians, and yet the following day, the story breaks, the news is everywhere about what Moses has done. Where did that message come from? Probably it came from the Jew who Moses stood up for. Think about that. You stand up against something that's wrong, and what happens? you get exposed by the very people you're protecting and your reward is that you're now not safe and you need to flee and hide and run for your life. That's what comes sometimes of standing up against injustice. So Moses needs to flee. And we skipped over this part last week. But Moses again finds himself encountering injustice and he stands up again. There's some uh, women who are tending some flocks and some shepherds come along and they kind of bully and push in and Moses says, hey, don't do that. And these women go back to their father's house and he says, you're home early today, what happened? And they say, oh, there was this guy who kind of stood up for us. And, and um, Jethro says, well, where is this guy? Why didn't you invite him back? Well, to make a long story short, Moses um, ends up marrying Zipporah and the father-in-law, Jethro, is a priest, not a, a, an Israelite priest, because there's no priesthood yet. There's no sacrificial system. So he's some sort of a Midianite priest of a different religion, and he's an important person. He's got lots of flocks. And Moses finds himself in another season of stability. Forty years he's got family, he's got a wife, he's got children, He's got employment, he's got food on the table, and things are kind of stable and settled for Moses. And then God disrupts that season. And Moses is out kind of at the other edge of the land that his father-in-law has some oversight of, and he sees on Horeb, later called Mount Sinai, a bush. Horeb is probably um, a sacred mountain for Jethro and for the Midianites. Uh, and so perhaps Moses is aware of this particular mountain and maybe this bush too. 
Uh, anyway, the bush is not consumed. And, and out of curiosity, Moses goes over and has a look. And we read this. God calls to Moses from the bush, Moses, Moses. I don't know about you, I've never had bushes talk to me, but that's what happens to Moses this day. And Moses answers, here I am. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy. And God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Moses gets beyond curiosity and intrigue. And as God reveals precisely who he is, Moses realizes he's in the presence of a holy God and he's afraid. He's afraid to look at God because mortal, sinful human beings cannot see the face of God. Well, what I want you to notice is this, that Moses has got this kind of stable, comfortable life. And it's God who breaks up that stability. It's God who upsets the apple cart. Sometimes uh, our life goes awry because of mistakes we make or choices we make or choices other people make. But perhaps ultimately, and certainly in this instance, it's a sovereign God who disrupts Moses' stability. And it happens at a particular place. It's a sacred place. It's the place where God will call Moses back up that mountain and where God will reveal his law. And uh, God says to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that's a fascinating way for God to reveal himself. Because Moses is now 40, and they were enslaved for about 350-odd years before Moses turns 40, right? So it's 400-odd years ago. This is kind of like God almost saying, I'm the God of ancient history. I'm the God of your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. There's this silence there's this apparent inactivity of God where, yes, he does a lot in Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob's life, and then not much happens. And God is kind of saying, hey, I'm that God, the God who made those promises to your forebears. I'm still faithful and true to those promises. And then Moses appreciating who God is, what's going on in this burning bush, has a healthy respect for God's holiness. Now, at this point, uh, some of you will want me to launch in and say, and haven't we lost some sense of respect for God's holiness? We're too familiar these days with God. Um, the way we dress at church or the way we pray or we lack reverence. And part of me wants to say that that's true. And part of me wants to say that, of course, What's happened between this passage and our uh, reality now is that Jesus dies on the cross. And when he does, the temple is um, made open to us because the, the curtain is torn and we can enter the Holy of Holies. Why can we do that? Because we approach clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
And so, yes, our God is still as holy and as unapproachable as what he was in Moses' day. But because we approach the Holy of Holies in Christ, there's a sense in which we can come closer to God than what Moses was capable of doing safely. Well, the conversation continues. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries. I've seen the slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I'm coming down to rescue them and to take them into that land I promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. God sees the plight of his people. And I think we're meant to contrast that with Moses. Moses is kind of like, well, he's, he's choosing not to look. He's kind of like, oh, well, like, you know, I've got my, my wife now and I've got my family and I've got to look after my father-in-law's flocks and I'm in the family business. And yeah, you know, I've I, I got things to, to keep me busy. And, and he's, he's no longer thinking about what's happening back in Egypt. But God sees... Uh, there's a saying amongst tradies, right, when they do a bodgy job, oh, can't see it from my place. Uh, that's kind of uh, Moses' attitude, it would appear. Here's another bit that grabs me about this passage. Um, just do a bit of maths with me. Uh, so a new pharaoh comes, has a season of oppression. We don't know how long, a few years maybe. Israel's still growing numerically. Then Moses is born in the era in which you're supposed to throw your babies into the Nile. Forty years he grows up, 40 years in the desert. This oppression has been happening for 80 plus years. And now we read, God's seen it. Duh, about time. I wonder if you felt like that. Doesn't God see? And it's just been going on for so long. And, and why this apparent lack of response on the part of God? How long do you have to cry out before God sees and does something? This passage doesn't give us some nice, neat solution. It just reminds us of the reality that sometimes seasons of oppression and injustice go on for longer than what we'd like them to but God sees and in his time God responds and I also want you to notice that God is intervening and responding for his entire people and he's doing it in ways that are faithful to his past promises um, it's not like Moses is wandering around and not sure what to do with his life and God appears and speaks to Moses, 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 have I got a job for you? This is not about God speaking to Moses as an individual and the individual calling of Moses and the purpose of his life. This is about God saying, I've seen the suffering of all of my people. And I've made promises to all of my people, to all of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I'm going to be faithful to all of those promises. I think today we have individualized too much God's um, speaking and God's intervention and, and we want it to be about us and about me and about my individual plight and that's not what's happening here with God's self-revelation well let's read on 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says, who am I? Well, I want you to notice that God notices and his solution is to send a person. Now, God's God. He could come up with lots of other solutions. He could send an army of angels. He could cause the Egyptian army to just go on its own march out to the Red Sea and get drowned all by itself. He could bring the plagues without Moses having to uh, go and speak. God could do anything he wanted. But God chooses to respond to injustice by sending a person. And ultimately, that aligns with his purposes for us, doesn't it? We are created in God's image, designed to reflect his goodness and his character. And like God is a God who brings order out of chaos in Genesis, he commands us to have dominion and to do the same. And now God is going to invite Moses to be his representative. And as you and I will know, that's not the most, inef- that's not the most efficient, effective way God could choose to operate. But he does. We'll come back to that. Moses' response is to see complications. So his first uh, complication is this, well, who am I? I- I'm a nobody. Now, if you've seen the children's movie, um, you know, Prince of Egypt, we're kind of thinking to ourselves, well, hang on a sec, maybe you're not actually a nobody. It's possible you know the new Pharaoh. You might have been friends. You might have played together in, in the temple courts, you know, back uh, 40, 50 odd years ago. Um, you might have grown up with the new Pharaoh. Well, Moses is still a nobody. Uh, Jethro is a little bit more powerful, but certainly not going to take on the Egyptians. Uh, uh, and so Moses says, well, who am I? Second complication, who sent me? Uh, recall, there's this uh, silence about God's activity, God's revelation of himself. Uh, the God of 400 odd years ago who spoke to Abraham. Yeah, he is the one who says, is that what Moses is going to say? And, and what if they don't listen? Like last time I tried to stand up for injustice, that didn't appear to work and, and they didn't appear to be on my side. And, and his fourth complication, I'm, I'm not eloquent. I'm not persuasive. If I'm going to speak in a way that's compelling, that leads Pharaoh to release your... I can't speak like that. I'm not an inspiring, motivating kind of a speaker. Well, God humors... Moses complications and he has a response for each of them so the first complication is who am I and God says well whoever you are I'm going with you it's not just Moses the individual it's Moses the representative of God and I will be with you what about the self-revelation who do I say Uh, has sent me 
Now, again, th this is um, this is something we don't kind of get as twenty-first uh, century people. But in the ancient Near East, to know the name of a god is a significant thing. It gives you the capacity to call on a god, to invoke him, to invoke him to action. And for the first time now, God gives a name so that his people can call on him. And his name is, I am who I am, or perhaps better, I will be who I will be. That is to say, I will reveal myself as life unfolds. You will see me, you will notice me, you will discover me as I draw you out of slavery. Now that's uh, in some ways a beautiful name, but it captures the reality of knowing God. I think at times we would like to say, God, please 100% explain to us, reveal yourself, who you are. Once we know what you're like, then we might follow you. Now, that's not what's going on here. In the business of following me, I will be who I will be and you will experience me to be faithful, to be powerful, to be loving, to be a speaking God who clarifies and teaches you things that you cannot otherwise know and shows you what it means to be my father. That is what God is like. That is the God that you call on when you call on the God of Israel. Uh, another proof um, that Moses brings. Um, sorry, I jumped ahead. Uh, the next thing, what if they don't listen? And uh, God says, they will listen. I will make them listen. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Uh, to some extent, Moses has a guarantee of success. This is where the story will end up, Moses. Eventually, they will be so happy to see the Israelites go that they will give them gold and silver and say, please leave. Go with our blessings and our possessions. Uh, and, and God also gives Moses three signs. We're now in chapter 4. We haven't read this. Um, read it at home this week. Uh, and so Moses has three miraculous signs. The hand that turns leprous, the rod that turns the staff that turns into a snake, um, and then the changing of water into blood. And we'll deal with the symbolism next week that's happening in these particular signs. Um, but it's about uh, who is more powerful, the God of Israel or the God of Egypt. Um, but Moses is equipped. He's got some uh, miraculous, some, some God-empowered uh, signs that witness to who he is and where his authority comes from. And lastly, God says, if you can't speak, I will help you speak. I will teach you what it is that you can say. I will put the right words in your mouth. So let's just pull this together, right? Moses is kind of comfortable. He's wandering around the desert. He's got a family and things are stable. God disrupts that and says, hey, I, I got a task for you. I want you to do this. And Moses says, oh, I see all sorts of complications there. And God says, that's all right. That complication, tick, deal with that. That one, tick. Look, not only are we going to deal with the complication, I'm actually guaranteeing you success. This mission's going to work. Tick, I'll give you something to say. And at the end of that, Moses says, oh, well, 
If that's the case, I'm in, God, sign me up. No, that's not what he says. That would be the appropriate thing to say. But Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I'm too busy. I've tried in the past standing up against injustice and I've been burned. I'm a little bit more streetwise. I've got other things on my plate at the moment. No thanks. Send somebody else. And that answer doesn't cut it with God. And his anger burned against Moses. Let's try and play this out for us. Here's the first observation. Perhaps you and I aren't called to just live a stable life. It's nice. It's less complex. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe God is leaning into your equilibrium and calling you for something bigger. Perhaps there's injustices that you see, that you notice, that unsettle you. And God might be speaking into your balance and saying, hey, I I want you to tackle this. Because God is the God who sends people to counter evil. In the first century, uh, males were an economic advantage and females were a disadvantage. And so the non-Christians would sometimes expose their daughters. They would just bring them to the river and leave them there to die. And the Christians would go down and rescue them. God sent people to save the girls. There were plagues, a couple of particularly bad ones in the 2nd and the 4th century. And most people fled to the hills and left their relatives to die and to starve and didn't even give them food and water. And a lot of them could live if you just fed them. And everyone ran away except, by and large, the Christians. God sent people to care for the sick. The African-American slave trade, God sent William Carey and the Clapham sect, sorry, not William Carey, William Wilberforce, and the Clapham sect to undo the African-American slave trade. From Sydney, God sent the Hamlins to, um, um, where did they go? Ethiopia. Ethiopia, um, For thousands of women who are dying from fistula complications. God sends people. And so maybe in this season, 
God wants to send us to counter evil and injustice. And our inclination is often to see complications and to have doubts. Oh, I don't know, you know, like uh, maybe that won't work. Who knows what's going to happen with COVID? Who knows what's going to happen with my work? I need to kind of remain a little bit um, uh, self-protective and just kind of have my options open because, you know, may, uh, who knows what's going to happen in the future or, um, you know, I, we, we can be kind of cynical. And, and here's what goes on at the moment. We call that insightful when we see complications. We think we're being clever. We think people who, who don't see the complications that we see, they're naive. They're idealistic. They're simplistic. And we're cynical and sceptical about their motives and about why it is that they want to help. Uh, and we have doubts, perhaps like Moses, we've tried in the past and we've been burned. And it's kind of like, well, why would I go there again? Look what happened when I tried last time. And the very people I helped, they, they didn't even end up helping me. They, they, they turned out to be part of the problem. You can have all of those things going on in your life. And that sounds remarkably like Moses when he gets to the end and he says, Ah, actually, I'd rather not God. Could you please send somebody else? And yet God promises to be with us and to equip us just like he did Moses. And the level of equipping and promises that Moses got was, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to you. They will eventually listen. And we are in the same place and better because what do we have? We have in Jesus' death and resurrection the final victory over sin and Satan and evil has already been won. We are on the winning side. There's no risks about how the end of the story will play out. Our mission will ultimately be successful. There might be some disruptions, some battles, some skirmishes, and we're going to get some scars, but ultimately... Jesus has already won the victory and we can be sure and certain that if he is on our side, then the victory is ours. And yet my sense is that at this particular moment, as we kind of come out of COVID and into 2022, that there's an awful lot of people who are saying, yeah, I'd rather not. Can you send somebody else? God calls you. God equips you. God empowers you. God sends you, not because he needs you. He doesn't. He could do it more efficiently without you and without me, but he does it because it's good for us, because it's why we've been created, because we actually find ourselves reflecting God's image, being who we were made to be when we bring order and out of chaos, when we bring justice to injustice. That's part of what it means for us to be a child of God.
you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds hard because those complications are real. Recall Jesus in the Garden of Eden at the most pertinent moment for which God called him. And Jesus prays, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. But if not, your will be done, not mine. So as you look and you see all sorts of things that are unjust, that are wrong, that need to be put right, that need to be done, as you sense God placing a need and a call on your life, I want to suggest to you that the only appropriate answer is not my will, but your will be done. Let me pray for us. God, we want to thank you for this story of how it is that you engage with brokenness in your world, how you call a person to step into that space, how you empower them, how you equip them, how you go with them, how you go before them, how you guarantee the outcome. And yet, we see in Moses' response sometimes our own misgivings, our own inclinations. If we need to repent of being self-protective, of living for stability, rather than for transformation, we do. And we want to pray, not our will, but yours. God, we're here to live and to tell your story. And we thank you that you're telling your story in your world. And we get to be a part of that. Equip us for this particular leg of that journey. For your glory, amen.